Good morning, everyone. There's a lot of you upstairs today. I didn't want to have to look up there, but I'm, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of you up there. And um, This morning, I get the pleasure of introducing a brand new sermon series to you. Okay, so we had three weeks on vision, and today we start a brand new sermon series looking at the book of Matthew. Okay, and I was trying to think of how to describe this series to you. I was thinking, what analogy can I use to describe this sermon series in Matthew? And do we have any fans of films here? Do you have any film fans? Sammy Boy, I think you're a film fan, aren't you? I think you're definitely one. Yeah, so I was trying to think, what sort of film is this sermon series like? I thought, is it like one of those Marvel kids films, you know, where they've got a bit of action at the start and a bit at the end, but apart from that, it's a bit boring, is it one of those? Or is it like a, a chick flick, which is just excitement all the way through and, and happiness and really short and sweet? Or is it like a thriller that keeps you guessing? all the way through. I was saying, what sort of film is this sermon series going to be like? And then it hit me, all right, this is going to be like a Lord of the Rings extended edition, four and a half hour epic, all right? We're going to be in this series in Matthew for months and months and months, okay? So I hope you're ready. This is going to go right into next year. We're going to go through this at some um, slow pace, and I hope you're going to enjoy it. Um, like the Hobbits do, did they say something about setting off on a journey a thousand steps, or is that a different film? I don't know, never seen it. Anyway, um, as we kick off, though, let's have a little bit of a look at Matthew's gospel as a whole. Um, so this book is a gospel. It's um, an account of Jesus' life, one of the four gospels that we find in the Bible. Four different accounts of Jesus' life with four different emphases, but all um, with lots of overarching themes together. So it's uh, one of the gospels. And this is the first book of the New Testament, as you'll know, and it's the longest of the Gospels with 28 chapters, all right? And the word gospel literally means good news, all right? And that's exactly what this book is. That's exactly what the book of Matthew is. It's good news about Jesus and the impact that he can have on our lives, all right? This book is good news, and Jesus himself is the good news. He is the one who impacts our lives, and the book of Matthew is written about 30 years after Jesus died from a mixture between eyewitness accounts, some written information, and also the memories of the author himself. And speaking of the author of the book of Matthew, this point is massively debated, okay? Um, but most people believe that it is Matthew the disciple, also known as Levi the tax collector, okay? So most people would agree, and scholars would agree over the years, it's probably written or at least heavily influenced by Matthew, all right? You can go and research the other authors if you want, but I don't recommend it because I got a bit of a headache and spent a couple of hours going in circles trying to work out who wrote it. So we're going to say it was Matthew, okay? Written by the disciple. And he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, 12 followers, who was a tax collector who famously encountered Jesus and turned his life around. All right? He was a despised tax collector working in this awful job, hated by everyone, and then he met Jesus and his life transformed completely. And isn't that just what Jesus does? Following Jesus transformed his life. Look, also, the book of Matthew is written very clearly for a Jewish audience, and it makes a number of references to the Old Testament. So as we go through this passage over the next few months, you'll see lots and lots of references to the Old Testament and prophecies in there. Um, because what Matthew was trying to do was he was trying to link the, the things that the Jews believed about a coming Messiah to Jesus himself. Okay, um, He was trying to link the prophecies from the Old Testament to the events that Jesus did 
And it's fascinating to see how many links he makes within this book. And over the coming months, we'll see a few of those as well. Because Jesus was the one the Jews were waiting for. He was the coming Messiah. He was the one who was going to bring freedom. And Matthew was um, pointing that out to his readers. The final thing to say about this gospel is that it can be known as um, a discipleship guide. Okay, so it doesn't just focus on what Jesus does, but also what Jesus teaches. And it's got lots of um, lessons in there around all sorts of topics which impact our lives. And it's known as a discipleship guide. Um, It is a practical account of Jesus' life, but within that, he teaches on lots and lots of different areas. Things like um, marriage and divorce and anger and how we get on with others in the church. There's lots of teaching within us how to handle your money. So over the coming months, there's going to be lots of different things for us to look at. And we've called this sermon series, or Raj called it anyway, Come the Revolution. I'm not a fan, I'm afraid. But Come the Revolution, because that's exactly what Jesus does when he comes to earth. He brings about a revolution, a new way of living, a better way of living. He gets rid of the old, the old parts of our lives, and brings in something new and something glorious. Jesus isn't just this meek and shy, long-haired guy we see in our picture book Bibles. Jesus meant business. Jesus was coming in order to bring about a new order. At the time, he was causing a massive stir. It was exciting, and it was revolutionary. This is how Bible teacher Phil Moore describes it. He says, Jesus was a radical, dangerous revolutionary who made big waves and powerful enemies. He was not killed for preaching pithy parables, but because he claimed to be king. Look, over the next few months, we're going to look at how this revolution is still shaping lives today. We're going to look at how Jesus, the revolutionary, is still coming and bringing a new way of living. All right, let's get into our passage today then. This is a hard one for me to read. You're going to have to bear with me, okay? We're reading from Matthew 1, and we're going to read the genealogy of Jesus, okay? Words will appear on the screen behind me. We're going to go from 1 to 17. This is a genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. And Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. And Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. We are nearly there. And the brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, 
the husband of Mary, and Mary, whose mother was Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there are 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, and 14 from David to exile. Oh, that was hard. <laughs> My wife said, just get someone else to read it for you. I'm going to torture someone. So there we have it, believe it or not. This is not just a list of names, and it was important for me to read it, okay? It can be easy to see the start of Matthew's gospel and just glance over this list of names, you know, the genealogy of Jesus. I've done it a hundred times. I start reading one, and I'm just like, oh, you know, and the rest. So-and-so, five of so-and-so, you know. On the face of it, this is a pretty strange way to start a book, isn't it? Like, if I was going to write a book, I'd be starting it with an exciting story. I'd be starting it with something to, you know, whet your appetite and get you excited for the rest of the book. I wouldn't start with a family tree. But actually, if we look at the intended audience of this book, as I've already said, for the Jewish people, these names were really important. See, with the intended audience being the Jews, they would have looked at these names and they would have recognized them from their history. They'd have got excited and they'd have seen these links, these names as a link between their history and the Messiah. They would have had an awareness of these people from the Old Testament. They'd have seen them from prophecies about the coming Messiah. See, the author is pointing out here that Jesus is the one that they were talking about. Jesus is the one that history was pointing towards. That was the point of the family tree. So let's not see these names as a bit of a distraction or something for you all to clap me for saying, which was very nice. Um, There's importance in these names. This family tree is vital for the Jewish readers. But there's also information from here that we can apply to our lives as well. So I want to look at today, what can we learn from this list of names as we start the book of Matthew? Well, let me pick out a couple of things. Well, first of all, what we see in this family tree is the end of a huge waiting game. Okay, so this family tree is the end of a huge waiting game. Matthew here lists 42 generations in total. That's a lot of people, isn't it? That's a lot of people. Um, And that's the ones who've made the list as well. Some people wouldn't have actually made the list. It would have been common in those times to miss out a few generations here and there. That would have been quite common. So there's at least 42 generations, but probably more. This is a long, long list of names. And the writer here, Matthew, he's describing the end of this massive waiting game. The Jews had been waiting for their promised Messiah. They'd been waiting for someone who would bring them freedom, and salvation. And here he was. Here he was. At the end of this huge list of names, here he was. Years and years of waiting, and then finally we have Emmanuel, God, with us. You see, this list of names is important because it shows that even in the waiting, even in the periods of darkness, even when you can't see God, he is still working. God's still working in the background. Who needs to hear that this morning? Look, sometimes we face situations in our life and it isn't instantly clear to see God working in them. It might be an illness or a family situation or a work situation or an asylum case. Whatever it is, quite often we can look and it feels like God isn't there. We can look and we can say, where is God? And for the Jewish people throughout history, they'd have felt the same. Where's this Messiah? Where's God? 
We need to remember, though, that God continues to work in the background. And as people, we can never fully understand what God is doing. There's periods in our life when we need to just trust, as Hallie said this morning, just trust what God is doing. We need some level of faith to ensure that we can manage those times when it seems like God is absent. And that's one thing that this passage shows us. Despite periods of waiting, despite times of wilderness, God is still in control. Recognize that today. Take heart from that today. Whatever situation you're facing, God is still working in it. You just might not have realized it yet. You just might not have seen it yet, but God is working. Focus on him. As, as Corrie Ten Boom famously says, she says, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away your ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. You trust the driver. When things are tough, when we struggle to see God, when the answer isn't there, when we face the waiting game, we cling to God. That's what we do, don't we? And just like with his family tree, he will be working in the background. I can guarantee that. Even when we don't see it, he'll be working in the background. Remember, it says in the book of Isaiah, this is God speaking. He says, remember, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We need to trust God. God works even when we don't realize it. Look, if you're facing a situation this morning and you feel like God's missing, you feel like you can't see God in it, can I encourage you to keep the faith this morning? Keep trusting him, cling to him. Keep trying to understand him. And look, I'm also aware that that response can feel a little bit empty sometimes. Like, just keep trusting God and it can feel a bit like unhelpful, can't it? Like, oh, cheers for that, Gavin. Like, give me something to work with here. But actually, listen, God puts us in a community with other believers for this reason, okay? When we face difficult situations, we don't have to face them on our own, but we face them with our Christian brothers and sisters, we face them with other people. We don't, we don't sit on our own and just trust God, although we do do that, but we, we, we allow ourselves to be strengthened by other believers whilst trusting in God and seeing what God does. If you're facing a tough time at the moment, being away from church isn't going to solve that. Being away from Christians isn't going to solve that. Being away from other believers isn't going to solve that. What's going to solve that is coming and sharing and praying with others, being strengthened by them and trusting God. You don't have to face things on your own. We're put in a family for that very reason. So the second thing I want to point out about this list of names is that there's absolute diversity in this list of names. That's one thing we see for certain, absolute diversity. In the first 17 verses that I read there, we're introduced to 46 people whose lives span 2,000 years. They're all ancestors of Jesus, that's all they've got in common really because their lives are completely varied and their personalities are completely varied as well. Their walks with God are completely varied. Check this out, some of them are absolute heroes of faith, people like Abraham and Isaac, Ruth and David. Some of them had dodgy, shady reputations. 
people like Rahab and Tamar. We had a couple of prostitutes in there, okay? Am I not saying that I'm in church? I am. Okay, um, we had some pretty ordinary people as well. Nobody. Has anyone ever heard of Hezdom Ram Nahomanakim? Me neither. <laughs> some of them were also, I've got to say, pretty evil as well. Manessa, Abijah. This is a diverse list of people. And what does this tell us about the church? Well, it says that God's work isn't limited by human failures and human sins. He works through ordinary people like you and like me. And he brings about his purpose in that way. This list of names is beautiful and it's diverse. And we can celebrate the diversity. We can look at it and say, yes, I love it. But for the original reader, this would have been shocking to see. Let me explain three types of diversity that would have shocked the original reader. First of all, we see racial diversity in this list of names. This would have been huge at the time because the Israelites, the Jewish people, they were God's chosen people. They were God's holy nation. And they would have felt a real sense of pride about that. They would have felt real pride. They were, it was just often a sense of racial pride, almost bordering on snobbery from the Israelite people because they were God's chosen ones. They were God's set-apart people. But then here we have Jesus' family tree and there's people in it who aren't even Jewish. There's people in the Messiah's family line who weren't even Jewish. The Jews would have looked at that and it would have been like, what? This is radical. And let me tell you, that speaks volumes in the world that we're living in at the moment. You know, just last year, this whole area of racial diversity in society and in the church, it came back into our focus, didn't it? Because of the, the killing of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, it's been great to see how Jubilee has really stepped up in that. Um, Raj and Chris and, and Simon are really spearheading it in Christ Central Churches, doing a lot of work and how to be multicultural in the church. And, and that's totally right. It's right that we build diverse churches. It's right that we look to release people from different backgrounds in our churches. Because this isn't a new idea. This isn't something that we've just seen because of George Floyd. This is not something we've seen because of Black Lives Matter. This is God's original plan for the church. God loves diversity. It was always God's plan. He demonstrated that by his family line. God wants to see diversity. You know, we can say we want to build diverse churches like it's some bright idea that we've had. It's not our idea. It's God's idea. It was God's plan all along. And it's the right plan. That's why I love that this church is so diverse. That's why I love that we sang in another language this morning. That's why I love that half of you don't know what I'm saying now. Because you don't speak English as your first language. I hope it's not quite half. Because uh, <laughs> Look, God loves diversity. That is really, really important. It was God's plan at the start. We see it in this passage. And it's going to be God's plan at the end. We see it in the book of Revelation, chapter 7. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, every tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's our future. That's God's plan. And we get to see a bit of that in this church every week. We're called to reflect the beautiful diversity that we see in the world. Okay, so we've got racial diversity. Another type of diversity we see in this family is with gender. Okay, so what would have been traditional with these family trees would be to list all of the men. 
All right, that would have been a normal thing. But here, in this account, we've got five different women who are listed. We've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and of course, Mary. Right there in our Bibles, right there in black and white, we've got five ladies highlighted, which is brilliant in itself. See, I think less so now, but traditionally in the church, it almost felt like the men do all of the ministry and the women take a back seat. Men, this is a church traditionally over, over centuries. The men do the preaching, the men do the teaching, the men stand at the front, and the women, your passengers. That's how it's looked before. But that was not God's plan. That was not God's intended plan for the church. Because if it was, why do these women appear in this passage? Look, I've said this a lot recently, but I believe we need to see a season where ladies in this church feel that you can step up and be released. We have some fantastic women here in Jubilee. Our Alpha team is led by a woman. Our pastoral team is led by a woman. Both of our big social action projects are both chaired by women. We've got women preaching. We've got women leading worship. We've got women leading our children. We have got some absolutely fantastic women in our church serving in different areas. And we need to celebrate what we already do. But we need more. We need to see more women, inspirational women, empowered to serve God and raise up the next generation. Look, as you know, I've got a little daughter. She's only tiny, but my prayer, more than anything, is for her to grow up with role model after role model in this church that she can look up to. I want her to see women that she can look up to and say, I want to be like her. I want to do what she's doing. Look, I, I think it's really important... There's a lot in the news this week about ladies. There's a lot in the news about women. And I just want to say thank you so much to our women in Jubilee. I'm not saying it's to patronise you or anything like that, but you inspire me every day and I want to see more. I want to see more of that, so thank you. Um, can we clap again? Can we clap the ladies? Is that all right? It's really important. It's really important. We want to see more. We want to see you encouraged. We want to see you free to do more in this church. Okay, I want to make one thing clear now. I'm talking about the ladies in the Bible and not the ladies in Jubilee for a second, okay? Because what we see with these ladies is that they're a little bit dodgy, okay? Not our ladies, the ones in the Bible, all right? Check this out. Tamar, prostitute. Rahab, almost prostitute. Ruth, Moabite woman, so not a Jew. Bathsheba, adulterer. Mary, pregnant teen. This is a list of women which isn't exactly reputable. It's a diverse list of women which shows the type of people that God uses. Because that's the other big thing we can fathom from this family tree, from this list of names, that God uses racial diversity, God uses gender diversity, but God also uses lifestyle diversity. And this is something that I absolutely love, because this list of names here, this isn't a group of perfect people, it's a group of real people. Real people with real lives and real problems. Some good people, some bad people, but all real people, just like the church. Look, I absolutely love this quote. This is from Martin Luther. He says, Christ is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners. In fact, he even puts them in his family tree. Amen to that, right? Look, Christianity isn't for perfect people. If you're sitting there this morning and you're saying, I can't be Christian because the bar's here. You've got to be this good to be a Christian. And I'm very glad to tell you, you are absolutely wrong. All right? There ain't no bar. There's no level you've got to reach to be a Christian. All right? That's not right. 
We need to recognize that the church is going to be made up of all sorts of people, and God intended it that way. Some people will be rich, some people will be poor, some people will be educated, and some won't. Some will be married, and others won't. Some will be divorced, some will be facing addictions, some will be CEOs of massive companies, some will be unemployed. We're going to see a diverse range of people in a church, because that is what God intended. And guess what? We've all got a part to play in the church, and that's what we see here. God doesn't just leave his family tree and say, okay, the perfect ones are allowed in my family tree and nobody else is. He doesn't say that. He uses everyone and everyone finds a place. What's your place? What, what can God use you for? What's God called you to? You know, the fact that this is such a diverse list of names is encouraging for us. The fact that we see prostitutes and adulterers and altogether bad people in here is something that we can take heart from because what it does, it's as if God is highlighting the scandalous glory of his gospel. Like, on the face of it, this makes no sense at all. Why would God use this list of people? Why would God include these people in his family tree? It's as if God is saying, like, you think you're bad. Like, you think you're too bad to be saved. You think you're beyond redemption. You've seen nothing yet, sunshine. Check out my family tree. That's what God's saying. It's like, you don't know the half of it. You don't know how bad it is. Like, oh, you tell some lies, right? Check out David. He's a king of covering up his tracks with lies. Oh, you've got a questionable history with partners, right? You should meet the prostitutes. Oh, okay, you've made mistakes. Look at this list of names. It's full of mistakes. That's what God's saying. It's as though God is looking at this list and he's saying, you have got a place here. Because there's no one who is too bad to make it into my kingdom. It's through those mistakes, it's through that list of names that God brings about salvation for us all. This is absolutely huge. It, it shouldn't make any sense at all. Like, surely if God was going to come to earth, it would come as part of the perfect background, perfect family tree. There'd be no linking him to any bad people in the past. Surely that makes sense. This doesn't. But this is a scandalous beauty of the gospel. I need you to be a little bit more excited about this for me, guys. Come on, this is important. Like, you can't shock Jesus with your sin, by the way. You can't shock him with your sin. There's nothing that you've done or will do which is going to shock him. He's seen it all and you see most of it in his family tree. We need to remember that sometimes. You can't shock him with our sin. There's no one that's too far away from God. We believe that, right? There's no one that's too far away. Look, as Andrew Wilson says, he says, we are more sinful than we ever dared fear and we are more loved than we ever dared hope it doesn't matter what you've gone through God's love is bigger and his love is available to you if I could get Hannah and Chris to come back up that would be great see at the start of this book at the start of this recounting of Jesus life Matthew's reminding us that even though following Jesus is going to cost us everything, which it will, by the way, following Jesus will cost us everything. I'm not sure if you've uh, worked that one out yet. 
Like, we're not walking along the wide path, skipping next to the flowers. God calls us to take the narrow path and follow him. He, takes us to, he calls us to pick up our crosses and follow him. So it's as if Matthew's saying, like, even though it's going to cost you everything, that shouldn't shock you. Because what we see here is we see the miracles that God has worked throughout history. What Matthew's saying is that he is worth it. He's worth following. He's worth giving up your life to chase after. He really is. It's not a question about whether you make the grade or not. It's about Jesus. And he's worth following. He works out of ordinary people like you and me. And that's why he's worth following. And that message is still as relevant in 2021 in Teesside as it was to the original reader at the time. Jesus is worth following. And we're going to spend the next few months learning more about him astounded each week at what he does. I want to challenge you at the start of this series. Are you ready to see Jesus in a new light? Are you ready to have your life turned upside down like Matthew the tax collector? Because that's what happens when you encounter Jesus. Everything changes, but he's absolutely worth it. Your Father God, I thank you so much for this amazing list of names that you call your family tree, God. I thank you so much. It shows us that we've all got a part to play. It shows us that there's no sideline and there's no um, sitting and watching the main event, God. We've all got a part to play in your story, Lord. I thank you so much for the diversity that we see with racial diversity and gender diversity and also lifestyle, God. I thank you so much for that. I thank you so much that we're part of an amazing multicolored church, but we want to see more, Lord. I thank you for the amazing women in our church who serve us so well. We want to see more inspirational women, God. And we want to pray for more people from different backgrounds to be saved and added to your kingdom, God. We want to see people from different backgrounds in Teesside joining in and finding a home, find somewhere they can belong and finding freedom because that's what you bring, Lord. So I pray right at the start of this new series, God, would you challenge us every week, God? Would you allow us to be open, to be shaped by you every week, Lord? Yeah, we love you so much, Lord. We thank you for this morning. Amen.